what these young bloods have to understand that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Just attack the basket. Welcome to Buckets, brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. My name's Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, and I'm very excited today to be joined by the one, the only, Jonathan Von Tobel. You can catch him at Vizen. You can find him on Twitter. Yes, I will still call it Twitter, at yeah. me, JVT, as in at me, JVT. Uh, he is the senior NBA betting analyst over at Vizen. You can also catch him on the Hardwood Handicappers podcast, which is absolutely phenomenal. You know, they're finding great NBA betting podcasts. There's not a lot of us out there. Right. Uh, Hardwood Handicappers with Kelly Bidlin, absolutely phenomenal stuff. You want to check it out. I loved every time that I've interacted with John. So I want to have him on to talk all things both Clippers, as he is uh, a Clippers guy, and some of his futures for the NBA season. John, how are you doing today? I'm good. You know, it feels like basketball season is not ending at all this summer because we have the FIBA World Cup coming up. So, like, th- there's that. There's getting ready for the season. There's what Summer League was. So, I feel like the season hasn't left at all. I, we haven't even gotten out of this at, in any way, shape, or form, you know? I felt so good when I put in a bet on Germany uh, to win the World Cup yeah. just based off of the upside value there. And then basically Dennis Schroeder pissed off Maxi Kleva to the point where Kleva quit. And I'm just like, really? I got to deal with NBA petty drama in Germany, FIBA, World Cup. Honest, really? Honestly? Yep. That's that's the way it goes. I mean, I was doing, I'm, I have Canada plus 450, right, to, to win the thing too. And then like kind of the same thing, but the injury stuff where it's like, oh, all of a sudden training game starts and it's like, Ah, Jamal Murray, I don't know where my body's at. I'm not sure if I'm going to play. You know, Corey Joseph's not going to play all this stuff. And I'm like, well, all right, here we go. Like, I guess it's basketball. It never really leaves you in terms of the way that things are handled on the court, too. We finally got a good number on Team USA, and none of us want to bet it. None of us yep. want to bet Team USA. We'll talk about that on another episode. Uh, today, I want to get into the Clippers and some futures. want to let you know that everything we talk about today, as far as like what I've talked about and what I've got going on, you can find the award-winning action network app. Best way for you to track your picks and your futures. I've got my futures already in there. I'm going to be adding more this week. I'm ready to fire on the Cleveland Cavaliers. God help me, JB Bickerstaff. Do not fuck this up yes. again for me. Uh, got some, some bets on there for, for them. I'll be having some other, I think I'm ready to fire on a few more win totals, some make playoffs. I'm going to add in there as well. So make sure to check out the award-winning action network. App. All right, John, let's start here. So you're a Clippers guy, which I love. I love having anybody in the space that can talk Clippers with any sort of like real fervor and passion because everybody wants to talk Lakers all the friggin' time. And to me, it gets really boring talking about the, the same things with the Lakers. Is Anthony Davis going to be healthy? Is the, Are the Lakers going to be healthy? This Clippers team is really fascinating. Um, latest report over the weekend, Ty Lue said Kawhi is good to go for training camp. He should be full go for training camp, which is a huge relief. That's a huge relief. Uh, in terms of like looking at their upside, this is a team that what three, four years ago was the title favorite. They have danced with being the title preseason favorite several times and are 20 to one at our sponsor FanDuel currently to win the NBA title. Uh, last year, I was extremely heavy on Clippers over. I love the upside of that team. I had a preseason bet on them to win the title. 
I loved everything about how, what they did with their offseason, how much depth they had. They had all this versatility. No, it doesn't matter if the if the stars don't play. Their depth will handle it because Ty Lue is such a good coach. And all of that very mysteriously imploded. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of substantial changes to the makeup of this roster year over year. Not a lot of additions, not a lot of losses. They're basically running back the same core. There's been a lot of talk of from Lawrence Frank at all about, we got to take the regular season more seriously. We got to develop better habits here. First, I want to get, get this uh, from you. What do you attribute the backslide last year with the Clippers to what happened with last year's Clippers team with all of that depth? Why didn't their regular season turn out better? And we can talk about the playoffs. Yeah. I so I, I think getting the obvious out of the right way, right. Which is availability to the star guys. It, it did seem that there was more vocal disconnect with Tyloo, Kawhi Leonard and the way the process was being handled and thus maybe that that sowed some pretty poor seeds with just the way that the team was handling things you know at the beginning of the year where, where Ty Lue tells the story when Kawhi's coming off the bench right and he looks over and somebody taps him on the shoulder and says oh hey by the way Kawhi's got to get in now and he's like what like what, what are we doing here and it kind of stemmed from there going forward it was it was kind of the most like quiet, but also most vocal, you heard Ty Lue about the whole situation last season. You 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 saw more cracks in the way that it made Ty Lue somewhat unhappy with the way this whole season was folding and the way that the handling of Kawhi Leonard was unfolding. And, and I think that's kind of, I think it's the impetus of it because it stretched throughout the entire year, even near the end of the regular season where there's that, I think it was the back-to-back with New Orleans, was it right? Where he he sits out the first, the second half of the first game of the back-to-back, but just because he wants to get ready for the set, like the second leg of the back-to-back, it was so weird the way that they were handling him all the way up into the postseason, and it still doesn't ultimately work out. And, and I think that was the start of it. It was just like, look, the way that we're handling our star here our head coach clearly doesn't like the way that this is happening. Whatever that disconnect is, whoever's deciding this, it didn't seem like he didn't really like it that much. And then the other is they started to kind of shift their roster makeup. I think when you look at it initially, when they were at the peak of their powers, when they looked like they were going to be a team that maybe could compete for a title and you go, you go back to uh, that legendary run, or at least I think so, because I'm a Clippers guy uh, to the Western conference finals, right. Where it's like five out and, and, you know, ball sharing and attacking and three point shooting. Like that was going to be like what their bread and butter was, but you saw them shift away from that. You saw them go get another big, I think all of those things kind of came together to form like a really chaotic sort of season. And even then you still saw the flashes. And I think that was probably for me, at least when I was viewing it and reading about it and, and, and kind of reading between the lines, I think those are the big takeaways of why the season kind of went South. I think it's interesting in that Ty's a great coach. Everyone agrees. Ty's a great coach. He got, I think he got a little overrated before last season. Like there was like, is Tyler the best coach in the league? And I was like, well, we, we got Steve Kerr and my, and right. running around. He's one of the best coaches though. I think what was weird last season, you mentioned the disconnect and how unhappy he was to me, it impacted everything that he did though, in that you mentioned it, like when it was like November and their win total is like spiraling and I'm like, Oh God, this bet is dead. uh, A lot of it was, I was like, what they're not, they're not even taking, why they're not taking threes. This was the best three point shooting team last year. And they're just not taking them. It was about like versatility and like, hey, we have all these different guys and can play all these different styles. And a lot of it was like, hey, we have Zoo, who I've grown to really respect. I think Zubach is is very good as a starting center. Like he is an above average starting center. You can do a lot with him in pick and roll situations. But they also had all this versatility in that run that you're talking about in 2021. They had the real ability to go small. 
and Cove gave them the opportunity. Yep. It's not about how good Covington is. It's just like you can do this. And instead, they were they you know they bring in Mason, and instead are just like no, we're gonna play big all the time. And it was really baffling because I understand that you can't do what used to work for you every year, but it was really weird to me to see like if you're playing the Nuggets, fine, use up all forty eight or at least however many minutes the is on the floor, use all of that up with Mason and Zoo. That makes sense. But when you're facing Phoenix, that has DeAndre Ayton and struggles specifically with small ball lineups that can go five out. It was really baffling to me to see how often Ty Lue seemed to get away from the positive identity that they had built over their successful times. Yeah, there was that. And you know, it was there was this weird, I don't know who he was going back and forth with. It was almost like he was on Clippers Reddit the entire time. Cause then there was the whole dynamic with Marcus Morris, right? Where yeah. You know, Marcus Morris did not play very well last year. There's a lot of different metrics you can point to. It was one of the worst years in the Clippers uniform. Uh, but, like, after after games, when he's asked, like, hey, what's going on with Covington? Like, what about Morris? What are we seeing here? And was just, like, almost stubbornly saying, no, Marcus Morris is our guy. And, and it was such a weird dynamic because, to your point, one of the reasons why, when you're alluding to him being, uh, can, you know, a little bit overrated coming into this year, is because last year they had so many of those comebacks, right, where they, they were coming back from these massive deficits and he was making adjustments and he was using the lineups properly. And it was so weird to see him kind of dig his feet into the ground and just do what he was doing as the season went along. And, and even in certain other instances too, like, you know, I asked uh, Tamaris Arley who, who covers the Clippers over there for clutch points. And I was like, I talked to him at summer league and I'm like, does, did Terrence man, like, did, did he, did he insult Tyloo? Did like, what's going on here with the dynamic there uh, for him? Cause for those who don't remember, going into the All-Star break, they had a 14-game stretch where they went 10-4. and four, And it ended right before the All-Star break where they went to Phoenix, and they were awesome. And Terrence Mann was absolutely incredible. And then they go to quiet Russell Westbrook. They lose the last or the first five games coming out of the All-Star break, and the, the dynamic gets kind of weird. The personnel decisions were so odd. And, and I think you're right. Maybe it did tie into the, the, the fact that he was upset with everything, the way that was getting handled. But it was a guy who I, I thought came into the year – with a lot of clout as being considered a really respected head coach and came out of it with, I think a lot of questions about like, dude, what are you doing with some of these rotations and player decisions? Cause it just doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. And there was also, there was so much talk around the league of the possibility of him being gone. Like there was a yep. real thought that he might be like, there was, there was a lot of like, Hey, Tyler might wind up as the son's coach. Like there was like a lot of conversation about whether or not. And so this might be one of those things where Ty had a year where he just wasn't happy you know, he was thinking about moving on. The organization was moving on. They ultimately got to the end of it and were like, no, like, let's redo this. And they're recommitted. And maybe that leads to, you know, much better stuff this year. If I could, right. there's also a lot that goes on behind the scenes. And as much as I try and cover, like, it can also be like the assistants weren't great. They, you know, all, all these types of things can, can, can change. And then you got on top of it, the frustrations with Kawhi and PG. Um, I will just give my take on the whole, on this whole thing. PG gets a pass from me. And I'm yes. one of the few guys in, 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 I think, in media that that does this, where I'm just like, look, PG, like, hit the side of the backboard in the bubble, right? At lots of, of some some teams were made to thrive there and some weren't. And you could say, like, that's a mental toughness thing or whatever, and that's fine. But guess what? We're, we are hopefully never going to see it again. <laughs> right. So, like, that environment is its own kind of creation. And there's stuff to, to credit there, but I have a hard time blaming anybody for that. Outside of that, I'm just like, look, PG has lost games, but he has typically played well in the playoffs. He had like he's gone toe to toe with LeBron. He has battled and he's battled a lot often when Kawhi has not been available. Ka like and when PG gets hurt, like P 
PG gets legitimate, serious injuries. That's not to say that Kawhi's injuries aren't legitimate, but like you don't look at it and go like, really? Like there are guys in the league where I go, really? He's got a calf strain and he's not going to play? Really? Mm-hmm. And PG's not that dude. He plays through anything except these serious injuries that he goes through. Kawhi is obviously a much more complicated deal. And honestly, just like we're never going to get the full story on everything with him. We're not going to know how bad the rumored degenerative issue is with his with his leg we're not going to know how much that has caused the subsequent issues in his knees we're not going to know what he could have played through and what he didn't how much of this is him being injured and managing his body and how much of it is stuff like the rumors of like he takes helicopters and like isn't at team events and has his own like there's multiple things i think that are true at once with Kawhi. but what's interesting and i want to ask you this question i I hit on this last night I i was on locked on nba which i also host and we were talking about what player could unseat Jokic as the best in the world. And I asked the question, because it's hard to find guys that are over 30 that could do this. Steph is one of them, because he's still Steph in large part. But I was like, if Kawhi Leonard at age 33, the Clippers, this year it all comes together, they stay healthy, Kawhi, they win the title, and Kawhi wins finals MVP, would Kawhi Leonard be considered the best in the world? And I was kind of like, I kind of think so. Cause he's always kind of burbling and I just kind of want to get your reaction to like, how good can Kawhi be like, what's a realistic, what's a realistic hopeful expectation of Kawhi at this point? I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's out of this world at all to think that. I mean, look, so we, we have plenty of examples of this. I mean, each of the years, so that we're going to the fifth year of this experiment now, right? Uh, each year that he's played for the Clippers, he's led the team in win shares. You can just look and see exactly what Kawhi Leonard when he's on the floor. We'll, we'll go small sample size. Go back to game one of the series against Phoenix. You know, they go out there, they win that series. Kawhi Leonard is clearly the best player on the floor. He's defending Kevin Durant. He's scoring at almost every single level. He's hitting shots. He's doing everything that team needs. They end up going into Phoenix and winning the first game in a series that many thought, like, they're going to get blown out. They're going to get swept. It doesn't really matter. And they look legitimately like a a team. And again, I I view it through Clippers colored glasses, but I thought they looked legitimately like a team around Kawhi Leonard that could beat the Phoenix Suns and make a run throughout the Western Conference because he was that good. He is a two-way player who has a high upside on offense. I don't think there's any question. And I I think he and, like, his potential – it goes back to why every single year there is thoughts, not just from me, but from others that like the potential is there for this team to win an NBA title. And it's because there is the possibility of all of a sudden Kawhi Leonard being healthy and being able to be available throughout the entirety of a playoff run for the Los Angeles Clippers. I I don't really think there's any question if Kawhi Leonard is healthy, he can be the best player in the world. And I think if anybody out there would laugh at that idea well, frankly, you're being ignorant or you just haven't been paying attention. When he's on his game, when he is there, he can be the best player. He can't go toe-to-toe with any one of these players in the NBA. We've seen it. We saw it on the run you know, in for Toronto on the way to an NBA final. So, no, I don't think that's a question at all. I, I think the question is just, will he be available? Because that's always been the problem. And if he is, if you tell me today that he's going to have, you know, he's going to be available throughout the entirety of a playoff run, whatever that is for the Los Angeles Clippers – I'm doing what I did again last year, which is going back and loading up. And, you know, you mentioned what you did with them last year, too, when that that price to win the finals kept going up, put a little bit more and put a little bit more because the potential is there for them. And it's because of him. Yeah. You know, even in the regular season, like this is a I I think this is like a really interesting way to kind of frame this is, you know, everyone knows that listens to the show knows I'm obsessed with EPM. I think it's the the go to metric for everything that we talk about, we're doing the catch-alls. I'm looking for impact on the floor, right? Mm-hmm. And Kawhi goes, he's sixth best last season. He plays 52 games. Steph plays 56. 
like that gap is just not yeah. that that far apart and maybe the a lot of maybe the takeaway from that is like hey Steph's probably not going to be able to give you more than 55 to 60 games a season either at age 36. Um, but I do think it's just like, it's incredible because I have, I have a lot of reservations about Kawhi because I think it's difficult when your best player has a real challenge with leadership. Mm-hmm. And to me, like there has to be a question of Kawhi Leonard's leadership. It's, it's hard to be the quiet guy, the, the separated, the very aloof dude. And Clippers guys have talked about how funny he can be, but it's also, it was really funny. There's like this clip going around of like how they were like, the assistant was like, you're going to run laps. If you, if you airball and Kawhi's like, I'm not running. And they were like, right. that's so funny. And I'm just like, yeah, but also just like, not like it's professional basketball. So I get it, but that's like a pretty common, just like basketball thing. Yep. And the fact that Kawhi is so separated and this is the thing is there's always this tension with me where I was like, I know how good he is. Like I've done so much film on him. I've, the comparison I've always made to him is Jordan. And that's not in a quantitative, it's in a qualitative. Like he reminds me of how Jordan moved. Now he's evolved and in, in, he's gotten bigger, right? We've seen the, the, the massive legs that he put on last season in terms of trying to trying to stay healthy with the the size of, of his lower body strength. But just like the Statue of Liberty dunks and stuff like that, he always reminded me in the way that he moves and with his jumper of Jordan a little bit. But like, the efficiency from everywhere on the floor, the efficiency in so many different play sets. There's so much that he gives. And that's why I think PG is so important. Like it's, this is why it's like really key. It's just like, you're going to have to have both those guys. I actually think there's a lot of teams where the second guy could miss a little bit of time and you could survive. Like Jamal Murray, we saw what happened when he was out. Right. But I'll also say this, like if Murray missed like a series, depending on which one it was, might be a chance for the Nuggets to get past because they're still so good. Mm-hmm. With the Clippers, it's going to have to be both of them. They're going to have to both be available at the same time. I wanted to ask you this. Despite kind of being, I'm a little bit bullish on them. I am staying away from the win total because of the uncertainty. I think of a lot of things. I'm going to try and resist talking myself into it. The biggest thing for me is just like, look, I would love to be able to say that there's great value to bet them now at 20 to 1. Yep. I think an interesting question is how much value are you going to lose? I just did the show with Sean Little where we talked about teams were ruling out of betting on the, on the title for now. Like who would you just like, we're just crossing them out. And the Clippers were one because I'm just like the price drop you will, you will get from now until April 1st is worth the certainty you will get with the health. You'll just know more about them. It may be 2000 to plus 450 or plus 750, which is what the nuggets were at before the, the title last year. But to me, there's no way you can bet a future, a playoff future, on the Clippers without paying the price for that certainty by betting, waiting until we get to spring. Do you agree? Yeah, I I think I'd completely agree. So part of my philosophy too, when it comes to betting futures in general in the NBA is uh, there's, there's not many seasons I'll go into a season uh, with a a title future, right? Because there's ebbs and flows to a year and you're probably going to get a better price at some point. If you're really paying attention on a team generally as the season goes along, however, to your overall point, and, and I would add to it, which is, so the market clearly coming into this season is the lowest it's been on this iteration of, you know, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George that has been in a really long time. And as you mentioned it, they've been flirting with title favorites throughout this entire process. You know, last year when I say that I was throwing more on them as, you know, as the price was dipping up, like we're talking about like 12 to 1, 11 to 1, 13 to 1, 14 to 1. Now we're starting in this range of about that 20 to 1 price. And I think that tells you that there's some resistance to buying into this team. However, as you kind of brought up, it's kind of the same iteration of the team that was last year, right? Like they're bringing back the same club that the market before the season started thought was more like a 10, nine to one title shot 
But now because of, I guess, lack of availability, right? The market doesn't believe in them anymore. But if this all of a sudden becomes a team that is going, right, is going to be healthy and they're going to be available, they are going to be like the team that was priced to be a title contender. So to your point, like I would understand that wanting to go in, getting some certainty about how they're going to handle Kawhi Leonard, what the process is going to be like throughout the regular season. If there is going to be more of a buy-in in the regular season, like they thought to get a top seed, not having to scuffle on the last day to get in and avoid the play-in. If we know that those things are going to happen, I think it's worth sacrificing some of that price to get it in on this team. Because I would think, again, if you're telling me this team is healthy, like relatively healthy as they can be as through the course of regular season, and i.e. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are together, once the postseason begins, then I'm willing to you know, take 10 to one or 11 to one or whatever it's going to be once the postseason starts, because that is a team that should be priced with higher probability than what that indicates when the postseason begins. Real quick before you move to futures, I wanted to ask about Russ. First, what was like your reaction when they did the trade? What was your reaction to that? To, or not the trade, but when they picked him up, what was your reaction to that move? So as somebody who is a fan of the franchise, and as I've told, and, and I always jokingly call him the fourth greatest Clipper of all time, Terrence Mann, uh, because of what he did in that closeout game against the Utah Jazz, right, to get yeah. to the uh, Western Conference Finals. I Honestly, I was, I was flummoxed by it a little bit, only because when you looked at the returns with Terrence Mann on the floor with both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, they were tremendous. You know, yeah. you're talking about a net rating, I think it was like plus 7.3 or plus 7.4. As I mentioned, he was the starting point guard during that run of 14 games where they'd won 10 out of 14 and, and went to Phoenix and got a big win before the All-Star break. And it didn't just make much sense to me to then kind of disrupt that and force him out of the starting lineup to put in Russell Westbrook, who you were buying low on and buying low on for a reason. I understood the need for Russell Westbrook, right? Because of what he is, you know, a guy that can get out in transition, uh, a North-South guy who can get to the rim, has that athleticism, will speed him up a little bit. I understood it in theory, but I just didn't like it because of what Terrence Mann brought to that team. Having said that and having watched it, I mean, he was great in that series against Phoenix. I mean, he did as much as he possibly could. It, it was like the best he'd looked in a really long time, but that's Russ by himself. I still think I have my questions as to how this all works together. If it's him, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George all playing with one another, because I am not sure if it's going to be the greatest fit still. I, I think there are some signs that it's going to be pretty positive. You know, the starting lineup with him, uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Marcus Mortens and Avicii Zubac. I think that group had a plus 14 net rating somewhere in that range, according to cleaning the glass. So there were some returns that were positive, but it's a very small sample size. So I'm, I'm optimistic. I would say about Russell Westbrook and what he could bring to the team. It's interesting because there's so much talk about how much they love having him and how much it's been yep. great to have him around and like the, the, they felt better about him and they felt good when he was on the team. It's just this is the the whole thing, though, I think is he's a jerk to the media, which is fine. I don't care about that. <laughs> right. Um, like I've always just been like, you got to answer the questions. I don't care how you answer. And he's always like he does the availability. He comes to the podium. He gives crappy answers. He leaves. And I'm just like, he does his job. That's all you got to do. Um, but it's like there's this massive gap between the perception of him in the locker room and the perception of him on the floor mm -hmm. as like fans watching. And there's a lot of wasted possessions. And like, there's still things I think they can do. Well, I've always kind of said this, that if Russ ever does reach a point where he decides that he can't do it his way, then he could have a real career resurgence. This has always yeah. been my thing is I'm just like his whole thing for his, for through his prime was the whole why not thing. And a lot of that is, why can't I just do it on my terms? Why can't, why can't I just, if I'm good enough and I'm, I work hard enough, why can't I just succeed on my terms? And the answer is like physics, like, right, you, know, right. you know, that's, that's one of the problems here. And uh, math is another one of the ones that they don't want to hear. And so 
if he never does adjust, I think there's a real upside for this team with with Russ, but I'm just not sure that he's ever going to get to a point where he's willing to admit those things. And I think that's always going to hold him back. Yep, uh, I would agree. So let's move to some futures. So first I want to talk about you. You kind of gave me an idea of some of them. You're with me on under on the Nuggets. I will say that there is a world, a scenario, a possibility that I'm, this is going to just be dead by January, that sure. the Nuggets come out and are just like, nope. We're just going to destroy worlds. We're going to rack up 60 wins without really having to try. Uh, we are a juggernaut now because we have figured out how to win. Honestly, when we're at a point like we're when we're at a point like we are where when Blacko Chanchar suffers an ACL tear for Slovenia and I'm like, oh, no, that's really bad for Denver. Like when Vlaco Chanchar is a significant loss, I feel a little bit better about the under here. You've already bet the under on 54 and a half. Uh, what are your general thoughts on why you put that bet in to uh, fade the Nuggets regular season a little bit? You know, it actually, it, it stems from, you know, a conversation that when I had you on the podcast and we were out at Summer League, and one of the things that you're talking about and you're alluding to when it comes to Cantra, which is, I think that developing the depth and the young depth, it seems like it's going to be a priority for Denver as you move throughout the regular season. And I think with that, come some bumps and bruises when it comes to your overall record. You know, the, the starting five is going to be brilliant. It's going to be good. It's going to be everything that you expect it to be. But my questions are more once you get into the grind of the season and you're getting into, you know, the December, January, February months and you're starting to slog through this and, you know, guys start to uh, accumulate nicks and cuts and bruises when guys start to miss some of those games. And I don't know if it's going to be a massive amount, but the depth that you're bringing in to then replace some of those minutes uh, are I think it's it's a pretty I wouldn't say severe, but a different drop off than what it was last year. You know, when you lose a Bruce Brown type and when you lose Jeff Green and so when I think you look at all of those. I think that leads it to, again, the highest win total on the board, 54 and a half. Do I think they're going to go to like 47 wins or anything like that? No, but just the probability of them winning 55 or more games, I think is lower than what the market would indicate. I, I would think that a fairer win total, at least the way that I made it was about 51 and a half. So I thought that under 54 and a half was the way to go, considering what they're going to go into with the year. So, and generally too, can I say, Usually when I approach win totals, like the top and the bottom, I'll tend to try to look, you know, top win totals, I'll tend to find reasons to bet those under, and those low win totals, I'll try to find ways to bet them over. And last year was a great example. The first three win totals that we saw cash last year, Indiana, what was it, Indiana, Utah, and Oklahoma City. You know, the teams are at the bottom, generally aren't as bad as the win totals would indicate, and the same thing at the top, those teams tend to not be as good as the win totals indicate. Yeah, 49 is where I've actually got the got the Nuggets at, and that's probably a oh. little low based off of their underperformance in the first and, and last month of the season. But even if we account for that and we, we flip them up a win or two, we're still only around your number of 51. So, yeah, I like this number. Anything anything above 52, um, I think, is a good yep. bet on the under there. Uh, Raptors, I think, are really interesting because I, I wrote about this for action a couple of months ago, and it's there's just like a, a general sense of like, what? are they doing right <laughs> because you know they 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 made the trade for yaka Pertle at the deadline last year which was uh nope we're running it back and they turned down all these great offers for og and then they look like they're going to run it back they re-sign Pertle, they're going to extend gtj and then they try and keep fred van bleet but they can't get to the number and you do have to have an like i'll say this you do have to have a number where you're just like no this doesn't make sense for us you can't pay whatever and it turns out that that you know 40 million was where the number was for fred van vliet for the for the uh for for the raptors and so now it's like dennis schroeder yep and 
there's a lot of talk in league circles about the possibility of Pascal Siakam. There's continuing talks about maybe it's OG to Indiana. It's either OG to Indiana or Pascal to Atlanta. And both of those ideas I think are interesting and could net them return. I just like, at this point, I did have one person that was like, look, I'll believe they're going to do the, those trades when they do them. Because at this point, Masai hasn't shown any, any open real openness to wanting to genuinely move those guys. He still wants to try and compete and there's, they're kind of locked into Barnes and these, these guys. So I don't know what to kind of make of them. I know that you have a bet on the under uh, what's your thinking as far as the Raptors go. So I'm, I'm pretty much gambling that they're going to come to their senses a bit and, and realize that like, look, man, whatever we're doing here is not making sense. When you have Pascal Siakam on an expiring, you have OG Ananobi who, if I remember this correctly, has a player option for next year, but it's only yep. worth like what, 18 million or something like that. Yeah, he's I'm assuming. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm assuming OG Ananobi is going to get more than 18 million on the market. So uh, I think that he is going to be essentially considered an expiring deal this year as well. So when you look at that on its face and I get it, you know, they lost Fred Van Vliet for nothing, but I just think after you lost Red Van Vliet and you look at where you're at, you could I, it would make so much sense if you're like, look, we have Scotty Barnes. Let's flip Pascal Siakam for draft compensation or whatever we can get, maybe young talent. Same thing with the OG and Obi. We can revamp this and start this thing pretty quickly with what we get back for these two. Those are at the trade deadline. I mean, we talked about this, what was it, last year or the year before? Like, the Raptors can control the trade deadline when it comes up to this season. Like, they have the two most valuable assets. They can make a, a lot when it comes to flipping those guys. And I think if me, right, sitting in my bedroom in my three-bedroom apartment uh, out in Las Vegas can see that, I feel like Toronto would see that and understand what the process is going to be. So I, I think it's just based on a gamble of, like, look, I think that those two guys are gone. I, I think you're flipping them. It makes the most sense. And when you're talking about a win total of 37 and a half, on a team that last year won 41 games and could potentially, by the time we reach the trade deadline, not have Fred Van Vliet, uh, Pascal Siakam, and OG Ananobi from the team that only won 41 games a season ago, I think it makes so much more sense to bet this thing under. And I also think there's a thought of when and if they do that, I think there's quite a few teams at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, or at least that were underneath them last year, that have risen to meet them in terms of at least power rating that you're going to swap some blood with a couple of these teams that are starting to get a little bit better and your win total is going to suffer on top of that as well. So I think all of that together, I went under 37 and a half for Toronto. I think it's actually gone down to 36 and a half at a couple of spots, but yeah. under for Toronto is the way that I approached it. Yeah. Under 36 and a half and juiced under over at FanDuel. Uh, and then this one I'm really interested in because I don't really know what to do with them. And it's the yep. Chicago bulls. Um, you like the under on them. The number currently, uh, over at our sponsor is 36 and a half. The under is plus 100. So you can get a little bit of uh, a positive juice on that. I, uh, I I think when it comes to Chicago, I just don't know what they're doing. So yeah. like, it's kind of the same thing, right? Where it's like, it, it's a little bit of a different scenario though, where you don't have the young assets to go off and flip. Now you have DeMar DeRozan, who I think it would make a lot of sense to, to go off and, and ship him off as well and get something for them. But I think what really kind of turns me off about Chicago, when you look at what this team could be next year is just a team that is, again, I think going to really scuffle on the offensive end of the floor. They were 24th in offensive efficiency and non-garage time last season. And I think that that is going to continue, especially with the way they've kind of built this roster as you come into next year. Again, slanted a little bit more toward the defensive end of the floor and trying to go in that direction. And if they end up shipping off DeMar DeRozan, I think this is a team that's really going to suffer. I mean, that's one of your best isolation scores that now all of a sudden is going to be gone. And I think it's just a team that, again, you know, we've kind of slowly start to see them decline over the last few years. You know, of course, the year before where they were at one point in control, were they uh, were they fighting for the one seed or whatever it was at one point? And then, of course, came tumbling back down. 
I, I think that the writing's on the wall for Chicago. Their, their, their pieces are aging. They have an expiring contract that could be worth some value. They're not a high-end offensive team, I believe. It's a bunch of your turn, my turn type of guys. Uh, I just don't see what the process is. And tying it again, what we saw with Toronto, or what I've talked about with Toronto, when some of these other teams around you are getting better and rising up to meet you, when there are other teams in the conference that I thought got exponentially better, have a very high ceiling, like the Cleveland Cavaliers and whatnot, and some others, I think there's a reality which Chicago really suffers and plummets down in the standings here. And especially if it comes to fruition that DeRozan is going to be gone, I think all of those lead to Chicago going under their win total. Counter, the Risendor family has never been good about accepting yes. reality. So. Yep. Like that's and that, that to me is uh, I lean a little bit over here. Um, I have them actually pretty significantly over the number, and I'll probably wind up betting on the over. Uh, some of that is based off of I think Bill. Like I am, I am. I think if not the highest, I am one of the highest people on Billy Donovan's coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I, part of that's like I have personal experience with him and talking to him. I've talked to a lot of coaches, and so I have a good way to kind of measure these things. And he always really impressed me with not only like obviously knowledge of the game and being a, a two-time collegiate champion and a lot of success in the NBA, but the approach, and I don't hear things about him in terms of like some guys clash with them. You want a little bit of attention. You don't want guys that are like everyone like love him. Oh, he's just like the best. I love that dude. That's my guy. Then you're Earl Watson. And that's never good. The fact that he was able to get that team as good defensively as it was last year is going to either be a reason that we should have bet the over, or it's going to have been yeah. Elite fool's gold, and they're going to be back to what they probably should be with Vucevic and, and DeRozan as two of the starters and be way, way lower. A lot of this is just like, how many games does Caruso play? Because Caruso was the best player mm-hmm. in the league in EPM defensively, and you really you see the impact on him whenever you watch the film. Um, so I, I lean a little bit towards the over, but I'm going to be very curious to see. If you're right, that they accept reality? They want to move Levine. I think they're in another one of these teams that are like, hey, they're really they they want to move this this star big name player, and then you kind of like, okay, so what are they asking for? And it's like, oh, everything. Right. Like, well, no, like no one's giving up everything for Zach Levine. That's that's not happening. Do you want to get a deal or do you not? Um, which is the opposite of the Damian Miller situation, which we covered on another pod. Uh, last one for you is Indiana Pacers. I kind of like them to be able to make the playoffs. They're, they are, I was not as high on them. I'm a year later. My colleagues at Action were all on them last year. They cashed over easy. Um, win total, 37 and a half. Uh, make playoffs for Pacers is plus 126. So I'm not getting a great number on that. I'm sure I could find a better one in the market. But I actually kind of think that the, I want the, I want to go substantially higher on Indiana than just like the base level. I'll play the, the over at 37 and a half, but I also want to play some alternates. I think this team is actually going to be the surprise team of 2023-24. You are preaching to the choir. I think they're going to be like my guilty pleasure this year. Uh, They were, they were such a great team to watch with what they were able to do offensively. And especially like Halliburton is, I think uh, he's one of my favorite players out there to watch. And what he's been able to do in his development and what they've built around him, their backcourt in terms of like a couple of the combined youth and of course, actually just level of uh, efficiency. Like they're freaking great with what they've done back there. I'm really excited to watch what this team can be. And I would agree with you. You know, you can find them uh, about plus 110 or so to participate in the East play in. That might be a way to attack it or that plus 125 price or so to make the playoffs. But I think like this is a team that you're very much worth looking at uh, to 
I think have a really big year in the Eastern Conference. For me, it was two. It was them or Orlando. Like those are the two teams that I've kind of got circled to to actually really track and follow and bet some positives with them. Cause I, I think that, you know, they're they're on the right track. They have a lot of really strong qualities that I think they can really build on. And they have good young players, you know, not just a, a you know, a team that maybe played above its skis a season before. I think they're showing that progression level that you like from young teams or at least based on young players. And I think Indiana's on its way to doing that. And by the way, I think they're pretty well coached. Like that's the other part too. They got a guy on the bench that I think can maximize a lot of what they have. I would totally agree with that. That's Jonathan Von Tobel from Vizen. You can catch him on Twitter at MeJVT. You can find him all over Vizen and on the Hardwood Handicappers podcast with Kelly Bedlin. It's absolutely tremendous. Check it out. If you like this podcast, you're going to love Hardwood Handicappers. Make sure to check that out. John, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. We'll be back on Thursday with another episode. Until then, let's get buckets. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.